Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Gathering all the information you would need to stay ahead of the curve on your crypto investments. Welcome to Thriller Rundown. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Rundown. Today is June 6, 2019. My name is Carl Gonzalez. Nice to see you again. So today we are talking Facebook. There's a lot of information that's come out today that has me really worried. Um, yeah. So let's go ahead and jump into it. First up on the rundown. The rundown. So we've been covering Facebook, Coin, whatever it's going to be for over a year now. I want to say maybe a year and a half at this point. Uh, we've kind of speculated. I think everybody in the crypto industry um, has realized it's going to be a stable coin, right? But um, some more information came out today. And it's leading me to believe that something else is brewing. Um, check this out. So Facebook has worked in secret on a project to create its own virtual currency built on blockchain technology. Of course, the project could finally emerge this month. Yeah. Surprisingly, it appears that not only will it emerge this month, but they're going to actually talk about it. And what's interesting is Money 2020 Europe is going on right now. It's happening in Amsterdam. It's been going on since Tuesday. Uh, it finished today, finally. But there was some behind the scenes talking that was going on. And this happened on Tuesday when a Facebook payments executive, Paulette Rowe, went up on stage and talked. Now, what's interesting is this is coming from Laura McCracken. So it's a second party, but she's from the German magazine. Horse walks. <laughs> and she says that Paulette Rowe told her that she wasn't involved in what David Marcus, of course, we know him from Facebook blockchain. He was one that hired, they hired to work on this. And he was also the one, if you remember, he was also on Coinbase's board. Now she said, she's not involved with what David Marcus has going on, Project Libra, which is what they're calling it internally at Facebook, but that she would have to wait until June 18th when a white paper was supposedly be published to get more details. She told her the exact date, which wasn't publicly known. None of us knew this. And according to yesterday, TechCrunch received requests for a June 18th news embargo from one of the communications managers from Facebook's blockchain team. And it was also reported yesterday from the information that Facebook's cryptocurrency project would launch later this month. So this has a lot of us kind of swirling around exactly what's going on, like what's in the works. But it gets more interesting because Facebook right now, as most of you know this, because I try to keep you up to date as much as I can with this, they're in talks to create an independent foundation to oversee its cryptocurrency. We know that it's going to be pegged by, you know, several different 
types of currency and it's going to be a stable coin. There's going to be low risk securities attached to it. It's going to be collateralized and stabilized and all rounded off to a dollar. <laughs> right. But the information has reported that it's asking companies to pay $10 million to operate a node that can validate transactions made with its cryptocurrency in exchange for, say, a governance. And that gets us kind of wondering, right? So they're creating this private blockchain. They're going to use several nodes, right? They'll probably create a token to uh, give to these investors or, you know, foundations, quotes. <laughs> so that way they can become node operators, but they can also, you know, benefit financially as well, too. And this will be a decentralized way of governing their new blockchain. Now, this will also help them in trying to avoid regulation related to holding too much power over a global currency. Now, it'll still be centralized, <laughs> right? Because it's Facebook picking these people, right? And it's only, they're probably only going to have, it doesn't actually say here how many people they're going to have, but let's just say they have a total of 12. So if anything, it's it's uh, it's sort of in between maybe Ripple and EOS. We don't know until we see the white paper, but it's looking like that kind of hybrids, centralization, decentralization. Eh, it's not quite Bitcoin decentralized, right? Not at all. But this is kind of what we're seeing here happen. So this is a lot of work being done for a dollar stablecoin, don't you think? So what I did was kind of do a little research. Come to find out that they have tons of jobs open right now for lead international blockchain council, lead product council, finance project manager, all related to blockchain here at Facebook. All these jobs are opened up. But what's more interesting to me is who they have behind the scenes creating this vision. One of the people that they have right at the smack dab middle of all this is their chief economist, who is a renowned professor, goes by the name of Christian Catalini. He is from the MIT Sloan School of Management. And so I did a little research on Christian because if he, they're getting the vast majority of information from him and from other sources within the company, like David Marcus, we, we know what David Marcus kind of stands for. We've seen where he's come from, from PayPal, kind of have a good idea. But when it comes to their chief economist and their crypto project, how are they viewing everything? Like where are they getting the information from? And so I did a little research and found out that this guy has talked about cryptocurrency for the past four or five years. Now, take a listen to a little talk. It's a little bit long, but I highly recommend listening to the whole thing. It gives you insight to how this company is thinking about crypto headed up by this guy. Take a listen. Uh, the phenomenon has actually evolved away from Bitcoin, which is kind of the first implementation at scale. And the term that you're hearing more and more from the financial sector, from regulators, is blockchain. Uh, the two are actually tied, and I'll try to unpack some of that. This is joint work uh, with Katrin Tucker and some of my other colleagues. Uh, as you can see, the interest in this space has been exploding. 
Uh, and as the, the phenomenon has moved really from the fringe, from the pirates, right, so the, the hackers and, and the cyberpunks, uh, to the mainstream uh, here, you know, the cover of The Economist was kind of one of the first to move away from the currency aspects uh, towards this idea of a giant time-stamping machine that can generate a perfect audit trail, something that's actually quite valuable in society. Uh, and more recently, the financial sector, the woman that you see up there is uh, a Blight Masters, a uh, veteran of JP Morgan that decided to quit her job to essentially revolutionize our exchanges work every day by using this technology. I think that it was um, paired with a lot of hype. And so if you take your airport book uh, on, on, on the way back, I think you, you may live with the perception that there's a revolution coming. My note of caution is that you know, most revolutions either fail or take a lot of time to, uh, to succeed. Uh, and even if you look at where Gartner places cryptocurrencies on the hype cycle, we're coming down from the, the peak, maybe not. Um, it's interesting to see that this is the first time they put it on the graph. It didn't exist before, so they, they kind of retroactively add these trends on, 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 on their curves. Um, but there's many others that are actually much more, uh, you know, uh, more traditional in terms of their origins. Ripple uh, is much more uh, friendly to, to the financial sector as we know it, and, and there's a lot of experiments. Even within Bitcoin, which is kind of the largest blockchain out there to date, there's a fierce battle for the standards. The two curves, this is a picture that I took uh, yesterday, the two curves are two alternative versions for that standard. Uh, the yellow line wants it to be a store of value. Think of it as digital gold. The green line is pushing for it to become a faster and more efficient payment system. And of course, those two things may not well co coexist on the same chain. About $1.5 billion have gone uh, in terms of VC money in this space. Nothing has come out yet. Uh, the reason being that there's a high degree of entrepreneurial experimentation, and we're really in the infrastructure building stage. Uh, you have to roll back to the internet in the early 90s, and so think about the Netscape moment hasn't taken place yet. So I'd like to take a step back and ask, where's the breakthrough, right? So when we look at this technology, why should you be interested? So let me give you a really quick definition, and I only have 20 minutes. So for the purpose of this talk, a blockchain is going to be a chain of blocks, okay? So very simple. Uh, what, what, what's going to be useful to think about is that those blocks can represent many things. You can place transactions in them. You can place some form of digital IP or some form of digital asset. And for now, you'll have to believe me that as time passes, a mix of cryptography and game theory, mostly it's actually game theory, makes that chain very hard to change exposed. So it becomes kind of a perfect audit trail of, of a marketplace. Why I'm excited is because for the first time, you have you know, economics and market design, so how we think about platforms and marketplaces, uh, mingle with computer science in a very profound way. Uh, and also how we think about law and contracting. So this is a technology that's gonna impact these three large verticals uh, in, in quite interesting ways. So when we started studying this, we, we cheated, uh, which is what economists always do when they're faced with a technology they don't understand. Uh, there was a lot of hype out there, and so we said, look, if we can identify fundamental costs that are affected by this technology, maybe we can start thinking about use cases and say, is this a use case that requires a blockchain versus not? <clears throat> and so we landed on two, and, and this is very much work in progress. The first one is what we call the cost of verification, and, and I'll elaborate on that in a second. The second, in, in, in the absence of a better name, so there's a naming contest if anybody has idea, we call it cost of networking, and, and I'll try to unpack them in the next few minutes. In fact, Sandy touched on a lot of this, so what do we mean by the cost of verification? So in society, 
from the moment you wake up and you, know, you check your email, you're essentially performing transactions. You're authenticating yourself, you're exchanging goods, you're ordering something off of Amazon. Every interaction in our society is a transaction. And those transactions are born with some important attributes. Who's involved? What are the credentials involved? Do they have enough funds to you know, perform the transaction? And most of the time, marketplaces just run smoothly. Right? Think about your own transaction. Most transactions go well. Everything is fine. But every now and then, we have an exception. Something goes wrong. And society copes with something going wrong by performing a broadly defined audit. You know, sometimes it could be auditors coming into your firm and auditing books, but it, it could be someone having to run a labor-intensive process or checking some, some, some accounts or balances or your credentials on your CV, whatever it is, it's usually expensive. Now, what blockchain changes is that if you can accurately record those attributes early on on a distributed ledger, verifying them, it's costless. So that's why we call it costless verification. Of course, it's never going to be zero, but a zero, you, you, know, you can keep in mind uh, the, the way Wikipedia changed kind of, you know, the online diffusion of knowledge. Of course, contributing to Wikipedia is not zero cost, but it qualitatively changed how we provide a uh, public good like an encyclopedia. The other issue is that society today copes with all these attributes, all this information being necessary for executing transaction by leaking it at every stage. And this was very much what, what Sandy was talking about. So to avoid information leakage, we need a system where that information doesn't kind of depart uh, the mothership in the first place. <clears throat> Just look at this is the recent data for data breaches. They're increasing, and they touch government. They touch private firms. It's, it's almost impossible in a digital environment to keep our data secure. So maybe a better model is not to have that data uh, leave in the first place. <clears throat> The other thing that you can do with a blockchain is that you can ensure data integrity. As I mentioned, cost of verification goes down, so we can do more verification. And that's good to society, because transactions that we couldn't support before suddenly are economically feasible. Here's where it gets interesting. For the first time, we can create scarce digital property. You know, in the digital environment, if I'm sending you an attachment, I can send that attachment over and over and again. Digital goods, by design, are hard to make scarce, right? That's a terrible property if I'm trying to send you a banknote, right? That's what is called the problem of double spending. Here are two examples with Bitcoin and Ethereum to create scarce digital property in an environment to create a marketplace. And I don't have enough time to go into the details, but for now, believe me, that the first one allows you to create a store of value that is scarce. And the second one allows you to perform a computation, which is also a scarce resource in society. The second cost is what we call the cost of networking. And here I want to take a step back and, and highlight what I think is the breakthrough innovation behind blockchain. The idea of reaching internet level consensus. What do I mean by that? Think of it as a technology that allows a network of devices, it could be machines, it could be robots, it could be you know, computer servers, individuals, to agree at regular intervals about the true state of shared data. Okay? That shared data could be a ledger, like in the case of Bitcoin. It could be something like much more complex. Think about electronic and medical records or IP. Now, if you put those three, three things together, a network of devices that can agree at regular intervals about shared data, you're very close to having a platform. Right? When you think about any intermediary on the internet, it's somewhat a composition of those things. And so that's where the technology is actually more likely to be disruptive in the next 15 to 20 years. Of course, you could argue, look, we had the ability to crowdsource you know, ideas, talent, resources online for a long time. But the challenge has been that we created intermediaries that have a high degree of market power as a consequence. 
In fact, on the internet, we're all renters, right? We, we rent resources, we rent services. Nobody owns their data. And that's part of the problem when it comes to privacy too. As a result, these intermediaries have largely benefited both from the direct network effects of their platform, but also the indirect ones. Think about all the applications built on top of the Apple App Store. And the consequence of market power you know, are, are familiar to economists. The first one is going to be prices. But here is also in terms of ownership of the data. When you send a message to Facebook Messenger, Facebook gets to read the content of the message. While at the same time, all that's happening is essentially a peer-to-peer -peer transaction of information. Why do we need the intermediary in between? Because they, they run the platform that, that allows you to connect. Right? It also creates a single point of failure. Just look at recent events. Right? When we centralize everything in a cloud, and an engineer types the wrong thing on the console, suddenly the East Virginia servers go down and a bunch of websites go dark. It has also created lock-in. In all this platform, we're, we're embedded. All our content is, is in those platforms, so it's difficult to move around. And this may have reduced innovation. You know what's interesting? When they went into Congress last year and Mark Zuckerberg was on the stand and he was talking to everybody, looked very robotic, <laughs> was sweating, right? He had this look uh, almost like a smirk. And it was then I kind of had a feeling, I was like, this is like, you know, letting them kind of roll out the red carpet uh, for Facebook into this area of, of blockchain technology. This is the first thing I thought when I saw that. I was like, this is basically telling everybody, don't trust Facebook, you can't trust them. Now that they're gonna have these 100 nodes on the network, it's centralized. It's a centralized approach from Facebook. We were expecting this, right? This whole walled garden that they're making. But it's incredibly disappointing to hear that they're gonna charge $10 million per seat. They're not gonna allow anybody just to be a node on their network, right? And it's, it's to cover their own asses. <laughs> US lawmakers have already gone after them here recently. The Senate wanted to talk to them about more information about their cryptocurrency and what data they're looking to collect. And I'm almost certain they told them something like this. You're going to own your own digital property. You're going to own your own digital identity. It's going to be built on Facebook blockchain. You're going to have scarce digital goods that you can use and collect on Instagram. We'll ensure all your data is integrity from Facebook blockchain. And there will be a Facebook level consensus from these $10 million nodes. It's basically a walled garden of hybrid, centralized, decentralized services. And what's more interesting is when you listen to Christian Catalini, the one who just spoke right now, he says the exact same thing. Take a listen. At the eye level, this is an architectural change. Um, Rebecca Anderson and, and Clark have this seminal paper in how they kind of try to classify different innovation in terms of the impact on, on value chains. I think what blockchain is about to do is to radically change how we create value and capture it in a digital environment. Because now what you can do is create a digital token. Think about Bitcoin as an example that allows you to bootstrap an entire platform. You've created an incentive for early adopters to come in, fund your system, and also, over time, incentivize its operations. It could be money, it could be you know, storage, it could be whatever other resource, energy, that you're trying to barter and exchange online. The reason Bitcoin is secure, it's because it's been bootstrapped through speculation. Speculation was the early use case of that ecosystem.
Let me just drive a really quick comparison between SWIFT, which we are probably all familiar if you've sent the wire between banks across countries recently, and Bitcoin. So at the eye level, what's happening is almost like you're decentralizing the returns to those network effects. In the SWIFT example, you know, the cost of securing that network is really the cost of securing those nodes, the banks. And that's why when SWIFT was breached uh, last year, somebody was able to wire something like $80 million between two different places uh, before they got caught. Those systems are currently very fast. So Visa can do something like 50,000 transactions per second. Bitcoin right now looks like a toy, seven transactions per second. But if you go back to the history of the internet, scaling has never been the issue, right? If you were worried about images breaking the internet or voice over IP or even video, we always worked our way around scaling problems over time. The key distinction is that in the left setting, the ownership of the assets, right? So the, the example that, that came up before about banks and, and, and your, your currency with them, you have no ownership over it. In the Bitcoin world, as long as you're able to manage your private keys, and, and we'll see, I think, a rise of intermediaries helping you do that, you have full ownership of those assets. And those assets could be currency, it could be your medical records, it could be private information, it could be IP. Moreover, the environment on the right allows everybody to innovate on top of it without asking for permission. If I want to build some smart contract on top of Bitcoin, I can do it today. And what's even even crazier is that when I look into this and I'm starting to realize that they're not just coming for stable coins. They're coming for everything. Um, at some point, I didn't see this coming. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't think this was going to happen. I thought they were going to release a stable coin and it, that was just going to be it. It was going to be a centralized stable coin. That was all it was going to be. But what they're going to try to do is create value within the network by creating another token to all these $10 million nodes. So that's going to be one source of value. And that's just going to go all to the people that run those nodes or they're, they're, they're calling them, <laughs> they're calling them institutions, right? With quotes. But the people that are using these services are, of course, all of Facebook's users, right? They have over, I don't even know what it is at this point, over 2.2 billion users at this point. It's a walled garden. And they're going to not only come after Bitcoin, because that's what they're going to try to do. That's what this token of consensus that's going to be distributed out between these institutions, right? These $10 million nodes. <laughs> that's what that's what that's what that token is going to compete with with Bitcoin. And then it's also going to go after other projects like Sia coin, like Filecoin. But it's all going to happen on the stable coin that they've created. They're going to incentivize their users to store data using them to leverage their identity on the blockchain, on their Facebook blockchain. They're going to try to create any type of value for you to offer them all these goods, all your pictures, all your emails, all your messages, and you're going to get stable dollars for it. They're basically trying to take over the entire crypto space. They're just sidestepping everything. They're not trying to like 
you know, play nice with us. They're not trying to um, help this industry move forward. No, they're just going to go ahead and create the protocols for everything. And they're going to use and leverage this blockchain, their Facebook blockchain, across all their platforms. They don't need to create value for us, for the users. They only need to create value for the people holding those $10 million notes with that token that they'll probably release with that. They're coming after everything. They weren't just competing with Bitcoin. They're competing with every blockchain in the space. So this tells me, this gets me thinking that maybe we should have saw this coming. It's no secret Mark Zuckerberg is <laughs> doesn't care about regular people and their information. There's been several news outlets that have been quoting some of his past statements and emails that he has with his employees and that he's had in the past in regards to how people give the information directly to him, like he's some kind of God. I don't think what we're seeing here, ladies and gentlemen, is just a stable coin. They're going to use it all. And they're going to put it on the blockchain and going to call it decentralized. And they're going to call it fair and equal. And it's going to be something that cannot be hacked. That cannot be shared without your permission or without you giving access to it. Because it's on the blockchain. It's on a hybrid centralized (laughs) blockchain that they've created. You know, one of my favorite movies is The Social Network. I don't know if you saw it. One of my favorite scenes is at the very end when everything comes to light and Mark Zuckerberg is caught red-handed. Mr. Sapp. Mark! Mark! He's wired in. Sorry? He's wired in. Is he? Yes. How about now? You're still wired in? You issued 24 million new shares of stock. You were told that if new investors came How much were your shares diluted? How much were his? What was Mr. Zuckerberg's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Mr. Moskowitz's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Sean Parker's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Peter Thiel's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. And what was your ownership share diluted down to? 0.03%. You signed the papers. You set me up. You're going to blame me because you were the business head of the company and you made a bad business deal with your own company. This is going to be like I'm not a part of Facebook. It won't be like you're not a part of Facebook. You're not a part of Facebook. My name's on the masthead. You might want to check again. It's because I froze the account? You think we were going to let you parade around in your ridiculous suits pretending you were running this company? Sorry! My Prada's at the cleaners! Along with my hoodie and my fuck you flip-flops, you pretentious douchebag! Security's here. You'll be leaving now? I'm not signing those papers. We will get the signature. And I'll bet what you hated the most is that they identified me as a co-founder of Facebook, which I am. You better lawyer up, asshole, because I'm not coming back for 30%. I'm coming back for everything. Okay, 
you know, that scene gives me chills every time I watch it. It's uh, it's surprising that somebody could do that to somebody that is their friend. Um, we know Cameron and, and Tyler Winklevoss run Gemini Exchange. We know the history that they've had with Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. But besides all that, that's in the past, right? I think it is alarming, though. It is alarming that news coming out today. We're going to see. June 18th, we're going to see what blockchain they're going to be releasing. I have a definite feeling at this point that it's going to be one that will not be what we're expecting. Maybe they start off with stable coins, then from there they go off into different divergent technologies. It only makes sense. You have to give value to the network, and Mark Zuckerberg understands that. And that value can only derive from its users. He understands that. Which is why Bitcoin network is so important. But we'll see what happens on June 18th. With that, let's get into five good minutes. Five good minutes. All right. So today in five good minutes, we are talking block one. That's right. Block one and there. Start that timer. New social media platform voice. So it was announced today from the block crypto. They said that this new platform is costing them one hundred and fifty million dollars. And it's a year to build its social media platform. The voice or not the voice voice. You know, it took them a whole year to roll this out. It's a social media platform. It's no wonder Facebook announced something this month and leaked this. We have to remember, ladies and gentlemen, EOS raised $4 billion. There's a war chest there. This is one of many platforms that they're going to roll out. We know what Dan Laramore (laughs) is capable of, right? He creates blockchains as a hobby. No, he does a great job, I'm sure. So I think what we need to realize here that um, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, these centralized platforms, they're going to go away. And these new social networks like The Voice, the new Telegram when it comes out with their own pawn token <laughs> later this year, this new Facebook blockchain whenever it comes out and start util- utilizing it as a peer-to-peer messaging platform. The new communication for this next century is not data. I mean, it is, it all all gets transferred as data, uses data lines, right? But it's money. Money is the new communication here. Starting to realize that. We're only in the, what, 2019? I feel like when we look at the beginning of time (laughs) for the, 2000th century when they look back they'll say what was going on back then well money became a new form 
It took on a new form of communication. And this is what's going on. This is why there's so many people trying to compete right now. This is why Block One is spending $150 million rolling out the red carpet, doing whatever they can to get some user adoption. I think one of the biggest problems they're going to have just from the get is the KYC. Good thing with Facebook is you already have that built in. You already gave them that. They don't need to ask you for it. They have it already. Voice doesn't have that. You have to willingly give them your identity. Right now, if I'm Twitter, I'm opening up my platform. I'm creating some kind of incentive to keep users on there. I'm doing something. I'm not just standing on the sidelines waiting. This is going to come faster than you think, ladies and gentlemen, which is why Block One, the company that built the EOS blockchain, the company that's working on this voice <laughs> platform, yeah, that company, they're conducting equity buybacks. And this is all in order to resell those shares to new investors. It's no wonder they're doing this. They see the race. Peter Thiel knows. <laughs> His co-founder of PayPal. Other investors like Alan Howard. Louis Bacon. Those guys know that this next innovation curve is going to go up very fast. And it's going to happen really fast. And people already positioning themselves. Just like Facebook today. So just kind of a food for thought, as they would say. <laughs> Peter Thiel actually was one of the earliest investors into Facebook. Yeah. He has his, he has his hand in a lot of different pies. So we'll see where this goes. But that has been, yeah, that's right. It's been a total of five minutes, ladies and gentlemen. Five good minutes on EOS and their new platform, The Voice. Or no, not called The Voice. <laughs> Uh, the voice. It's just called voice. KYC voice. Yeah, that's what it's called. Okay. Let's ring the bell. All right. So we got a very exciting hard truth. Let's jump into it. The hard truth. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! So I'll tell you the truth right now. It's going to make a lot of people mad. But um, it's not why we have this segment, right? We have this segment to face reality. At least this is how I see it. So don't... Uh, don't get mad. <laughs> get glad. No, that's not what they say. No, seriously, if you have any opinions, put it in the comments. Yeah, I want to hear it. I'm open to it. I'm open to it. Uh, maybe one of these days we can have you guys uh, start sending voicemails in so we can have some rebuttals from previous hard truths. That'd be cool. Okay, so it's been announced today that Binance, the top crypto exchange, will be adjusting its trading volume because it's going to be releasing its own stablecoin. And I can give you a number of different reasons why this is a bad idea, right? But I won't do that. <laughs> I won't do that. Just like I've given you a number of different reasons why Tether is a bad idea, but I won't do that today either. 
I'll just simply say this. They're moving too fast. Binance is moving too fast. What are they moving so fast for? You just had a hack less than a month ago. Seriously. Now you're creating your own stable coin, right? You're already releasing projects on your own Binance chain, right? Why are you going so fast? What is that? It doesn't make any sense to me. And we know why they're creating stable coins. Over 60 of these have been created already. Tether accounts for like 98% of them, right? Gemini made their own stable coin. These exchanges are making their own stable coin. Coinbase uses true USD. Yes, we understand. We get it. But what we've seen come out of Tether is we don't want to see. Are they really holding that amount of cash? According to Chief Financial Officer Wee Zhao, he says that they're going to be issuing their own stable coins within a couple of weeks, uh, within a month or two. And that it'll be backed by British Pound. Yeah. And we know why these are created, right? Everybody wants to move over their crypto winnings, I guess you would call them, into fiat. Hold that stability for them. You know what I really think they are? They're just a way to pump the price of Bitcoin, in my opinion. It's a way to start this next rally, as they would call it. That's the hard truth. That's what it really is. That's what Tethered has done. This is why you have a lot of serious, pissed off people from the SEC, right? Looking into everything. I, I, I literally think any day now, any month now, I would say before the end of the year, one of those people are going to come take a look at Binance. They just are. There's a lot of stuff there that's just happening way too fast. And um, yeah, <laughs> they got coverage today in Bloomberg. So we'll see what happens. I'm hoping for the best, right? But I know me personally, I don't use Binance. So don't let my you know, bias play into it. And I told you it was gonna piss people off, but <laughs> I don't use Binance, but I, I can totally understand why you would, right? I just don't trust something that is going that fast. It, there's no way <laughs> you can be scaling that fast. You don't need to, you already have the lead. <laughs> so that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Put a force gump in it. You know, it's been a uh, interesting week. Um, we haven't seen a lot of great news come out. Just a lot of bad news, it almost seems like. <laughs> Funny how the bad news weeks, Bitcoin price goes down. Yeah, I looked at network volume, everything's still going down. Transaction volume's going down, transaction counts are going down. To me, it appears like Bitcoin is gonna go down another $1,000. That might be surprising to some people. It's not to me. I was hoping this correction wasn't going to happen so soon, but got to follow the network, man. That's where it's headed. Usually price follows right after that. I do know that June 18th is going to be a very exceptional day. We'll see what stand 
Facebook stands on. The side of Bitcoin and decentralization and everything that comes with it. Or the stand hard truth of centralization and continuing this centralized economy. We'll see. All right. See you next week.